Welcome to Season 2 of Fracktown Gumshoe, Holy Fits, based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill. Chapter 7 Back home, I twisted the top off a cold yingling and flopped onto the couch. Mozart the cat jumped on my lap and scratched his ears. As I sipped on my beer, I thought about the abused wife at Horvath's. She wasn't coming home to Tony that night. She was getting in a little yellow Chevy and driving straight to the airport thanks to her sister's largesse. Would she change her name, or would she just start again? Would Tony go looking for her? And would the Tucson police have another murder on their hands? Between the waitress and me, she had head start and I felt good about that. I'd make sure Tony's bill was a bit larger than usual, just to get another dig in. My mind shifted to Fiona. Somebody else who seemed to be drowning in unhappiness. What had happened to her to make her feel so sad? I certainly wasn't responsible for all of that, was I? How bad was the divorce? It must have been really ugly. Mozart began kneading my leg and circling my lap, trying to get comfortable. As he did, I stared off into space and let my mind drift back 20 years. <laughs> Officer Nicolo Fitzhugh, this is Officer Fiona Lenane. She's a rookie. This is her first night on patrol. Lieutenant Baker had just gotten promoted and still looked a little uncomfortable in his role. Barnes was still gloating to me at the bar after our shift that he'd made sergeant and I hadn't. Fucker. Now I get stuck with some wet-behind-the-ears rookie and a woman to boot? Shit. I smiled wanly and shook her hand. She was cute, I'd give her that. She wore her blonde hair in a ponytail that stuck out of the back of an FPD baseball cap. Her ears were pierced, but according to regulation, she wore no jewelry, and her brown eyes had all the seriousness of a rookie who didn't know what the hell she was getting into. Her black uniform made her look even tinier, and her duty belt hung on her hips like an anchor. I'll bet she can't run six feet without that thing falling around her ankles. But damn, she had great tits. Officer Fitzhugh's an exceptional officer. I'm sure you'll learn a lot from him. You should. You're working together for six months. Six months? What did I do to deserve this? She's going to be nothing but a liability. Nice to meet you, I said. Nice to meet you too, Officer Fitzhugh. Officer Lenane followed me to the cruiser parked behind the police headquarters. I didn't speak as we got in. Hell, I didn't speak for the first 45 minutes expecting to be deluged with the worthless chatter I usually got from nervous rookies. Finally, the silence even got to me. Or was I working with an ice princess? I said something. So, what made you become a cop? I asked. My dad was a cop. She didn't offer any more information. Mine too. He was the sergeant here for a lot of years. He just retired. Barnes just got promoted to his job. The ice princess nodded. Oh. You got any family? Just my folks. No brothers, no sisters? Nope. More silence hung between us for a minute or two. You don't talk much. Not much to say. I shrugged and let the radio chatter fill the silence. Yep, this was going to be one long six months. The first half of our 12-hour night shift was uneventful. Most winter nights were like that. 
We recovered a stolen minivan out of Akron, abandoned downtown in the flats, and returned two hormonally charged juveniles back to their home after we found them playing tonsil hockey in Daddy's car after curfew. Officer Lenane was competent on the radio and with her paperwork, but nothing that stood out. About 2.30 in the morning, I was hungry. Want to eat? There's a great Italian coffee shop in New Tivoli called Pacini's. They're open all night, she shrugged. I'll buy. Okay then, sure. God, this woman is a class A bitch. I picked up the radio. Dispatch, this is Unit 37. We'll be 10-7 for lunch at Pacini's. Unit 37, 10-7 for lunch at 0235. Dispatch repeated. Puccini's and the new Tivoli neighborhood were just a couple blocks away. The place hadn't changed since the 50s, when Joe Puca opened it as an Italian bakery. Dominated by an antique brass espresso machine inside and a huge red and white striped awning outside, it became a hangout for students and the Italian community years ago. When Joe's daughter Connie came on board, she saw the potential for staying open all night. She introduced grilled panini sandwiches, giving every bar patron in town a chance to sober up with something more than Buccini's cannolis, pizzelles, and every cop or shift worker a place to stop for a bite to eat or enough caffeine to continue through the night. I spent plenty of time in high school shooting froth milk into tiny cups of nuclear strength espresso as one of many teens Puccini's hired throughout the years. By 2.30 most weeknights, the bar crowd had gone. Tonight was no different. The lone clerk, an older man at the beginnings of a scruffy beard and a red and white striped apron, sat behind the counter working on a crossword puzzle as we walked in. Officer Lenane didn't speak until we ordered a couple of sandwiches and espresso and slid into opposite sides of a bright red booth. This is a nice place. I've driven past here a couple times but never stopped, she said looking around. It's practically an institution in Fawcettville, I said. Great food, even better espresso. By the way, you've been damn quiet all night. If we're going to be working together, mind if I know a little bit more about you? I'm single. I have a degree in criminal justice from Youngstown State and two cats. Dating anybody? Is that any of your business? If you get shot, I'm sure your honey would like to meet the ambulance at the hospital. If I don't know who it is, how can I call him? Oh, that seemed to shake some of the reserve off. I hadn't thought of that. No, I'm not. I just moved here a couple weeks before I started. I don't know anybody. So you're brand new at this. What do you hope to do in your career? The bearded guy brought us our sandwiches and espresso, giving her a moment to consider her answer. I thought about working up to police chief somewhere. Becoming the first female police chief in the town where I'm working, she finally said. That's a pretty big goal. Yeah, my dad wanted a son so he could make him into a cop. Instead he got me, so I'm carrying the family banner. I've also considered the marshal service or the FBI. That could be even a tougher road to hoe. Her eyebrow arched and her brown eyes sparkled with fire. You don't think I can do it. Or you don't think a girl can do it? Or is it because I'm blonde? You think I haven't got the brains? Jesus Christ, I didn't say any of those things. I'm saying... The mic on my shoulder wouldn't let me finish. Unit 37, respond to a 437 Rome Avenue. 
altercation reported by neighbors there. Two males, both intoxicated, unknown on weapons. Officer Lenane's eyes widened, but there was no fear in them. I slugged back my espresso and spoke into the mic. Unit 37 responding to Ann en route. I stood and threw 20 bucks on the table. Come on, Lenane, it's time for your first rodeo. Rome Avenue was two blocks down from Puccini's, in the heart of New Tivoli. The address was one of the older Victorian homes built in Fosterville's heyday, but turned into apartments now. The fight had migrated from the apartment to the front entryway by the time we arrived, with one young man pounding the shit out of the other. Neighbors were outside on the porch in their pajamas and coats. Lenane jumped from the cruiser before I could stop her, running towards the combatants. Lenane! Lenane! Wait! What the hell was she doing? I followed her at a sprint. We don't know if these assholes have any weapons. I swear to God I fucking hate working with rookies. Lenane! Hey! Lenane! Okay, break it up! Break it up! Lenane yelled, grabbing the top fighter. A drunk college student from the looks of him. She had him by the back of the shirt, just enough to get his attention. Stay out of this, bitch, he said. Oh, yeah? She wrapped one arm across his throat, getting all of his attention by cutting off his oxygen. She grabbed his arm with her other hand and twisted it behind him, dragging him from atop the other fighter. He tried to regain his balance, but Lenane, with more power than I'd seen with somebody that small, pushed him forward onto the floorboards. I grabbed the other fighter, bloodied and bruised from the floor. By the time I got him to stand, Lenane had the aggressor handcuffed and her knee on his back. She looked at me angrily as she helped her perp to the standing position. Any other doubts about girl cops you'd like to discuss, Officer Fitzhugh? My smartphone sitting on the end table beside me rang. It was Gracie. I shoved the cat off my lap and answered it. Hello, gorgeous, I said. You make it okay, I guess? I'm more jet-lagged than I thought was humanly possible, but yes, I'm here. She sounded tired. Miss me? Of course. What time is it there? We're six hours ahead of you, so almost two in the morning here. I think I've gotten four hours of decent sleep since we left, so I'm all screwed around. I wanted to call you before I finally collapsed into bed. What's on the agenda? We have tickets to Mozart tomorrow. I mean, tonight, at the Music Vera in a big concert hall. But we're starting the day at the House of Music, which is a museum. We hope to visit one of the big cathedrals, too, before dinner and the concert. Ah. So how's everything going with your mom and the situation with Father O'Malley? It's still investigated whether it was natural causes or not. It was all over the front page today. As for the deal with Mary Margaret's grandmother, apparently the feds have been chasing this guy Benedict St. Giles for a while. I had an FBI agent show up in my office today. I may work with him on the case, I said, trimming the details. She knows who Fiona is, and I knew how jealous Gracie could be. That's surprising. I figured an FBI agent would go directly to the sheriff for the police before coming to you, she said. I wonder why they would do that. I shrugged as if she could see me. I don't know. Is it a male or a female agent? A female. Why? You don't trust me? Not if she was smart. Gracie laughed. Of course I do. Anyway, she's butt ugly. Nothing you need to worry about. Why was I lying all of a sudden? It's not like I planned on stepping out, or did simply seeing Fiona do that to me. Oh, okay. Gracie seemed to buy the whole thing. Relief flooded my veins. 
I'm going to grab a few hours of sleep before the day starts again. Oh, and before I go? What? I asked. My hotel has Wi-Fi. Let me figure out how to hook up my computer and we can Skype next time. Once I figure out, I'll email you the details, okay? Sure. Love you. Love you too. And she was gone. I stood and finished my beer. Gracie had a good point. Why would Fiona, as an FBI agent, not stop to check in with either the PD or the sheriff? And of all the people, why not talk to Barnes? Or did Fiona even know Father O'Malley was dead? Had Mary Margaret said anything about that? If there was a connection, even a tenuous one, between O'Malley's death and St. Matilda's, you'd think the cop shop would have been her first stop, even if Mary Margaret had been the one to call her. Of course, if O'Malley had died of a heart attack, it wouldn't matter. And if it did, we wouldn't know until the autopsy was complete. Then, too, the feds didn't have to let local law enforcement know they were operating in the area. But more often than not, they did. It was a professional courtesy that could possibly keep either the locals or the feds from shooting at each other. They didn't just show up, and they didn't just drop by a local PI, usually. Fiona told me she was going to check in with her boss after she settled in her hotel. Was that true? Maybe she was really checking in with a cop shop now. What else did I need to know about this long-ago lost love? I went upstairs to Gracie's office and flipped on the light, making a beeline for the computer. I typed the words, Agent Fiona Rafferty. I realized I may have a problem on my hands. The story, dateline in Indianapolis, was two years old, but still made me grimace. Fiona's husband and fellow FBI agent, Mark Rafferty, had been killed in a shootout with a suspect following an investigation into identity theft and bank fraud. The location of the shooting? One of Indianapolis's historic cathedrals. The story described the suspect as affiliated with a fundamentalist monastery associated with an offshoot of the Catholic Church, run by a father, Jeffrey Hausman. Could that be my boy, Benedict St. Giles, or the man Fiona called Jeff Kovach? She'd said the FBI had been after Jeff Kovach for a couple of years, following the shooting of an Indianapolis priest. Maybe this was personal. Maybe I had more to worry about than just apologizing to her. This episode is narrated by Casey Martin. Fracktown Gumshoe is based on the novels by Deborah Gaskill.